hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're going to discuss 1956 The Killing by Stanley Kubrick. And additional dialogue by Jim Thompson. <laughs> what are we drinking today, Michael? We have a four-pack, four different beers from Hop Saint. Hop Saint. They're sponsoring this, aren't they? They sure are. We got the Hop Saint Happy Pills Pilsner, the Pure Intention Pale Ale, their IPA, and Double IPA of Extinction. We're going to work through them in that order. Excellent. Just doing you know, a little beer tasting. Four, yeah. they sponsored us. They gave this to me, went down there, visited them. Actually, we went in there and it happened to be their anniversary. Nice. And I felt bad at first because I said, I'm asking, hey, can I have this? And the, and the, and the brewmaster, he, he said, you know, yeah, I'm going to be a little busy. And I said, I'm going to get there right as you open. But it was very cool. Went in, got a glass. They, they said, are you here for the... The, the anniversary, anniversary? you're like, I, and, sure and, and I said, I said uh, yeah, and I'm also supposed to talk to this guy. And he gave me, a, he's like, I'm going to give you a little variety of what we have. So we're doing the happy pills right now. How do you like that? It's nice. This is a light. This is a beer they'd be drinking in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, old school, like Pilsner. This is classic, like nice hoppy bite, little malt in there, light, easy drinking. That bar that's in the racetrack. Yes, right? absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we're well, Mike O'Reilly. Of course, the bartender's <laughs> name is Mike O'Reilly. You picked this. This is one of my favorites. I would consider it a film noir. It falls outside of Bored Nation's timeline, but I'm okay. This is a great movie. It is. I I picked this when we did our film noir episode way back in, I think, the the episode 20s. (laughs) It was a while ago. We'll link out to it. I saw this movie for the first time, and I've watched it since then, and I thought we should discuss it. It was a... Horrendous loss for the studio. It was a B. It was the B movie. Funny how that works. Yeah, I think it's because sh- because it's considered a classic now. This movie is responsible for a ton of crime movies we've grown up with, and people have admitted it. This was wildly influential on filmmakers. A- absolutely, sort, sort of like the Velvet Underground. Yeah. I, w- I would say because it was like when it came out, nobody cared. Yeah. It didn't do damn thing. Twenty years later. Every popular band or every popular filmmaker was going, that's one of the greatest movies of all time. And it really is. From the writing, the camera work, the structure of the narrative. And one of the major points in terms of cinema history, it is the first, I don't want to say real film, but the first studio film from Stanley Kubrick. And, you know, when I always think of Stanley Kubrick, I always think, oh, he made this immense catalog of work. And when you think about actually what he made, it's a very, I think it's, Less than maybe a dozen. You could probably name them. Yeah. I mean, he no, he really did. He, he he does not have the biggest IMDb list. There's not a huge list. It's but it's the thing is everything was impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And then he brought on Jim Thompson. He was One of a great pulp writers of all time. Absolutely. Big yeah. Jim Thompson. Yeah, exactly. And he he you know my wife's always happy because he was an Okie. <laughs> <laughs> he did die out here in California, and he was one of these writers, kind of like Philip K. Dick, where he was undiscovered during his lifetime. And Underappreciated. Then, yeah, yeah. And, but uh, you think about movies based on his books. I just read recently The Getaway Again while I was on um, our spring Great. vacation back a couple months, but all the movies that have been made from his books are excellent. His writing is, I, I mean, you think Elmore Leonard, hugely influenced yep. by him. It's just that tough like i love writing trying to write that style i mean because it's lean 
It's dialogue heavy. Characters just like pop off the page. In this movie, I know it says additional dialogue. He wrote this movie. He did. And, and he, he, did. Had, he had a line because yeah. Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick, you, you said, you know, he didn't get along with Stanley Kubrick. And I said, there's a long line of people in Stanley Kubrick's life who did not get along with him. Yeah. I, I read Savage Art. It's his biography by Robert um, Polito. Polito. I'm never going to get his last name right. But there's a whole section about this movie. And his daughter talks about like one of the lines that he used. His own catchphrase was, what's the use of kicking? And he even got that line in as part of the dialogue. And yeah, the, the movie's clearly written by Jim. I mean, I'm sure that oh, they, the they di- sat together the and wrote together. There's, but, like, there are so is, many great yeah, lines. Yeah. There's so much of that great patter, pitter-patter back and forth and these one-liners and just, you know, it's like tough guys and tough women. One of my favorite femme fatales, M- Marie Windsor, who started... She was writing comedy bits under the name M, I think it was M. Windsor, sent them to Jack Benny because, of course, she said if she, nobody's going to buy, you know, jokes from a woman. And then when she finally met Jack Benny, he saw her and he went, you are gorgeous. You should be in the pictures. He didn't try to make on her. He said, you got to be in the movies. And she's fantastic with Elisha Cook Jr.'s wife. (laughs) Just hates him. (laughs) Spoiler alert. This is a heist movie. It's a crime, yep. It's going to a very intricate plan to steal $2 million from a racetrack on a major race. And it's a person who, John Clay, just gets out of jail. He puts together this crew. And of course, I'm, I'm going to say it. I know it's been repeated by a lot of people in Dallas, but there's this Jewish saying about man plans, God laughs. That's the main plot of this movie. But Absolutely. you have. Look at everybody's IMDb page. Who's a, these are just character actors galore. Fantastic. It's a fantastic group. Every scene is well acted. Sterling Hayden, I love him. He's to me, he's in that Robert Mitchum vein where he's like a man, you know, man's man, yeah. a tough guy. Yeah. He's like pretty, pretty cool customer, you know, a guy you'd like to drink with, but you know, if he gets mad at you, look out kind <laughs> yeah. of deal. He's fantastic. It was originally they wanted Frank Sinatra. I mean, all due respect, Frank Sinatra yeah. did had a lot. He won an Oscar, yeah. he, all this. I just can't picture him. Like, I would like to see an alternate universe where he's in it. But no, I can't imagine anyone else. Yeah. Eric know? Stoltz and Marty McFly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which we do actually have a little footage yeah, of yeah. that. And it's weird. <laughs> but Sterling had it interesting enough as we're preparing this. Lived on a barge for a while. Wrote his own biography in like... He was a Marine in World yeah. War II. Six, yeah, he was a Marine. He wrote a novel called Voyages in 76. There was a French documentary about him called, or a German one called Pharaohs of Chaos. It came out in 83 about his life. Uh, But he used to show up on Tom Snyder's show. And he looks, like, besides, like, a bushy beard, he looks like, like, man, that guy really maintained his looks and age, you know? Well, if you ever saw The Long Goodbye, Robert Altman's with... uh, Elliot Gould, he's in that. that. Yeah, yeah, and he, that's he's got the beard. Yeah. He's just doing this crazy <laughs> sort of like Hemingway, William Faulkner character. He's like this drunk author and stuff. And it's a great role. He's, he's but it's he's probably so, realistic. He's too. so good in this. Is Johnny Johnny Clay? Johnny Clay Fresh did five years, and I love the beginning where they're at the track. And I will say, there's a lot of voiceover in this, and we were talking about because I've always felt I love this movie. One thing from the first time I've seen it was I went the voiceover. Most of it is unnecessary. And then I found out, and we, you found out, yep. you know, getting ready for this, that it was added after the fact. You can just tell listening to it, and you just knew that Stanley Kubrick was just did not want this on there. Because a lot of times, it serves no purpose. Yeah, the studio said, they, they got the cut, and they're like, 
this doesn't make sense. Put everything in a linear fashion. And he did. And then he didn't like it. So he moved it back and submitted it to the studio. And like, okay, if you're not going to follow directions, put a voiceover in. See, that's, <laughs> and that's one of the things. That's, that's how kind of ahead of his time he was with this because the studio had never d- dealt with anything like this because we're yeah. jumping back and forth. We're, we're telling your story. And then they go, they're going to tell my story, go back in time to the beginning. We're all meeting at the same point, but they just jump back and forth. It's a really interesting. Nowadays, people would go, that's done all the time. These things had to have the first person to do it. This was one of the originals, you know, and this is one of the things that people were so influenced and blown away by. Yeah, when the, when Quentin Tarantino did Reservoir Dogs, he's, he, he, he talks flat about, out says, yeah, he, he flat out says, this is the movie. Yeah, and I was- Pulp Fiction and this with their nonlinear timeline, like this is the movie walk. The timeline jumping and also a couple of the guys involved yeah. in this game, yeah. you don't know them. You don't know these people. They're trusted. <laughs> I like in the beginning because Marv, he's sort of the money guy. He's this like sort of sweet guy that- Really likes Johnny's, sees him as a as a father figure. Well, and- let me let me ask you about this. In the Jim Thompson's biography, like Jim Thompson wrote that as having homoerotic undertones. A hundred percent. Because like he he touches Johnny's face. And I'm like, that's a little He says like- sweet things, but it's it's he says, I always looked at you like a son, but he says, We're gonna run away together. Yeah, there's like, very, that, very much there, there's a romantic <laughs> yeah. thing going on that I've always thought is he's, th- is he's this in a it thing? For Johnny. Yes, and, it, and and they try to paint it as a father son yeah. thing, but there's you can see you right can through see it. it yeah. There's something else going on there. But I like he made a bet on every horse yeah. so that he could go see George Elisha Cook Jr. Yeah. because he has to give him an address. Yes, because the big meet is coming. I think the racetrack is actually in Northern California, but a lot of the yeah. scenes on the streets, it's right here in Southern California. Even oh, yeah. I think this is supposed to take place in New York. But it's any city USA. Now, they don't tell you. But I do love, we get through, we meet Marv. We meet Michael Riley, the bartender. Yeah. We meet Elisha Cook Jr. Let me ask you, it's Elisha Cook Jr. Do you think he gets slapped around oh, He's going to get slapped around in this movie. <laughs> I mean, he is like, when you're looking you're get for kicked. Just, that milk toast. And, and what's the character from The Simpsons who's always like, ah, oh, you know, like he's just... The quintessential <laughs> sad sack. We love him. I think this is our third or fourth movie. Elijah he's Cook great. Jr. Oh, he's movie. he's on he's on pace with like Vincent Price. Yeah, and this is our second movie with, with uh, Sterling Hayden because we just did Johnny Guitar with him. Absolutely. <laughs> and we get Randy Kennan. He's a cop yep. who's in deep to a Leo, who's a mob guy. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of we meet all these people. We find out that all of them. Johnny's just in it for the heist. Yes. But everybody else has a reason. George. His wife, Marie Windsor, Sherry, she thought when she married him, he said, I'm going to be into big money. She only married him for money, and she realized, I've married kind of a wimp. And Mike O'Reilly, his wife is really sick. He's the bartender. Randy Kennan, the cop, he owes money. So all these people have a reason to be in on this caper. Yeah, they're not true criminals. The cop, Randy, might be a crooked cop. But He's a totally it, cr- crooked but cop. But they're not, they're not criminal. They're not like they're constantly playing heist. They're brought in because they can serve a purpose. And Johnny even says it. These aren't guys. They just got, they got a little bit of larceny in them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got his lady, Faye, who's been waiting for him. And she's she's so sweet. And she's talking about, she's always, oh, Johnny, I ain't pretty. And I, I ain't smart. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she's really pretty. She's actually gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love it because it is that sort of Jim Thompson, yeah. that Paul, yeah. I ain't pretty and I ain't smart. <laughs> Don't leave me alone anymore. She knows he's going to do crime. Yeah. Don't leave me anymore. You just got out of a five-year stretch, and you're telling me about this crime, but don't leave me anymore. Maybe he shouldn't do crimes. 
I think this movie is saying, regardless of your intent for doing a crime, it's a crime. And yeah, you, And absolutely. in movies, you got to pay for what you do. Yeah. And so I think about it because I think of Michael Riley's wife. Like he, she's I, the only one. I, yeah, she's the only one I think who is completely right. innocent. She doesn't know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. She's just as sick. She's bedridden. Yeah. I'm guessing cancer. Yeah. I don't accept Faye as innocent yeah. because she knows Johnny's into something. She knows he's a criminal. She he's, knows he's a criminal. Gets out of jail and she knows do he's doing crimes, <laughs> and then she tells him to run at the end. Michael Riley, even if he's doing a good deed, it's like you don't. It's it is that karma thing. Even if you're trying to do a good thing, you can't do a bad thing. The opening scene with. George and Sherry is classic cinema. Like if I was going to do a scene with somebody, that would be one. He's just coming home and he's telling her, you know, oh, I've got, I've got a pain. She's like, I got a pain in my head too, George. She's so cruel. Yeah. She got so many lines. She's like, you, you getting me a drink? <laughs> oh, George, my head's hurting even more now because he's talking. That's basically what she's saying yeah. is your yeah. talking is giving me pain. Get me a drink. I need a drink to be around yeah. you. And just ends up telling him, you know, all this time. Five, you know, five years we've been together or whatever. And, you know, you said you're going to have money. You've got nothing. I'm just sitting here. He asked, what's for dinner? She goes, oh, we got steak and potatoes and asparagus. Like, I don't smell nothing. She goes, well, it's all down at the grocery store. I got no money. It is so great. And she's so cruel. And he is such a wimp. Finally, this is the pivotal moment early in the movie because he ends up spilling the beans. He goes, what if I told you I'm going to have a lot of money? A lot of money. And she goes, yeah, whatever, George. This is when your best laid plans... The old saying, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Because he tells her she's having an affair with a local hood. And I like that she goes, you're a lot of things, George, but you're not a liar. (laughs) (laughs) And she is, she's she's dating, of course. She's stepping out on him with Val. Vince Edwards. He's a good looking guy. Dr. Ben Casey. He's her guy, but he's not putting up with her crap. No. Because he goes, she goes, you weren't around. He's like, you know, basically, I, I see other ladies. I do what I want. Yeah, you're you married. Got, you got a husband. <laughs> yeah. I don't like getting tied down. Leave me alone. Lay off. And she goes, tells him about it. Yeah. And he goes, oh, that meatball. I think he calls him a meatball. Yeah. <laughs> he is really, everybody kicks this guy around. Yeah, exactly. It's so great. The plan is he's going to get it. We can rob George. But then he kind of ups the ante and he goes, wait, if he's got a cut, we could go after even more. We could rob everyone. Yes. Why take a cut <laughs> when we can have the whole thing? So, of course, they have the meet yeah. where all the guys get together. And it's just, it's exquisitely shot. The lighting, the camera work, which, of course, Kubrick started as a photographer for Look Magazine. And he couldn't do cinematography on the movie because of union rules. And so they had to bring one in. And, of course... The cinematographer was not doing things Kubrick like. They butted heads the whole time. I think at one point Kubrick was going to fire him. <laughs> so I'm sure his if that guy has a biography, he's yeah. go, he's probably like Stanley Kubrick is a difficult dick. person. <laughs> Sterling Hayden is talking, and then he'd lean back, and his head would be in the dark, and then he leaned forward. It's like all this stuff is just like this richly detailed, and it's 1956. There was tons of color. Like, you didn't have to make this in black and white. That was a choice, and it works. It does. I can't imagine this movie in color. And he mentions to the group, there's two other additional men who are what you would consider career criminals. You could trust them. You're not going to meet them. Puts George off a little bit. He kind of goes, what's their cut? Not that I mind. Yeah. Not yeah. that I mind. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, they're just getting a flat rate. That's when we find out this Marv fellow, he's the money man. He's giving them their seed money. He says, they're just getting a cut. It's nothing that's going to impact your cut, but Marv is going to get it right off the top. He's going to get his money back because we find out Marv is a bookkeeper and everybody just kind of defers to Johnny, 
which I would too. Yeah. I'm like, I, He's I'm, got a presence. Yes, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell Sterling Hayden. You know, no. <laughs> We're gonna do what I want, Sterling. But is is someone listening? Good in Lord, Sherry. <laughs> and I like they go out and you hear someone getting smacked. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, what's going on? It's a dame. They bring her in. And of course, George goes, that's my wife. And everybody just turns angry looks at him. And Randy Cannon just starts. If you show Elisha Cook in the first act, you've got to get slapped around at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And they do. They're like, you you told. He goes, no, no, I didn't. I didn't do nothing. She 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 went, oh, which I think Sterling Hayden gives this great. Johnny looks at him like, what? You. you are so full of crap. Well, you're going to step out on her? You are a liar. So he kicks everyone out and does this great thing where he makes it. He's talking to Marv where he's like, we're going to you know, beat the hell out of her. And he gives him a great wink. There's this great look where he's, t- you know he's talking, but he wants her to hear, you yes. know, I'm going to just turn her face in a hamburger. Yes. I know. I was like, whoa. The first time I watched him, I'm like, whoa. Because I didn't think Johnny was that type of character. You're right. He just wants her to hear this. Yeah, because the whole thing, and he and he threatens her. He says, I'll call this whole thing off and you'll be out. She tries to come on to him and he's not having yeah, it. He sees right through it. They have this beautiful exchange and he says, you can keep your mouth shut and be rich or you can screw up. You get nothing. You stay right where you are. I know you, you married a sucker. <laughs> but you don't say that to a femme fatale because she was also in like narrow margin. She's like, it doesn't matter what you say to me. Like, I'm going to get this this money. <laughs> oh, dude, she she's just fantastic. Just cruel, cruel woman. Because later that night, George is back with her and he thinks he's like, oh, I, I think of that one character from The Simpsons. So I think it's actually a takeoff of one of Jack Lemmon's characters from me. He's like, oh, Gil, yeah, the Gil. salesman. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this. I, I'm nervous. I'm like, she's like, no, 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 no. Do this. You need to do this. And I'm thinking, she's such an evil person. Oh, she's terrible. And she she just even says, well, George, if you don't do it, I'm not going to have anything nice. And I'm tired of hamburger for dinner. You know, it's like, she's just saying. Basically, hamburger helper is just, just as good. Oh, it, you're right. She's so cruel because she, she does. Is. And she makes no bones. She's not, she doesn't, I love you and I want this to work. She goes, if you don't have money, what good is it? What's the point if there's no money? And I think George, he's in a situation where, He's like a three, maybe a two. And he married up. And I don't know why she would have married, except that some, at some point he's like, hey, I'm coming into money. And That's she, what she says. She's just like a gold digger. Somehow like, yeah. he yeah. convinced her, yeah. I'm going to be rich someday. You don't want to miss this train. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden she's just, she's like, she okay, look, rolls over that? one day and goes, when is the money coming yeah. in? And I'm married yeah. to this dude. I made a big mistake. <laughs> and, and I mean, and I mean, honestly, again, her lover, he's a good looking dude yeah. and she's good looking. She could have had her pick of the guys and he just had a line. That's a whole movie in itself. Yeah. yeah. You know, the petties, <laughs> the, the killing, the prequel, the meanest sitcom ever. Yeah, the petties. Exactly. Just... <laughs> Let me tell you kids about how your father cried himself to sleep last night. <laughs> Because you know that's like the kind exactly. of thing. Because she, she does. She gets some great lines. She does. When I'm writing myself, I'm like, I wish I could like write a scene that some of these scenes are. We're cracking into the uh, pure intention right now. The pale ale. Cheers, Cheers. on that. Yeah. That to the killing. Nice hop pep. Pale ales. I was just pep is yeah. like the word I always think of is whether or not that intense is the IPA. It's yeah. just like that light floral pure intentions. You know what? Mike O'Reilly had yeah. pure intentions. Yeah. No one else. Like yeah. you said, man plans, God laughs. Yeah. 
some are movies you can stand back and say, hey, there's a lot of things you can discuss about the movie. You can take it out and bring it to a deeper level. This is one of the movies because it can be about like greed and ambition. Yeah. Intentions and motivations mean something. They should mean something. You know? But what I also <laughs> like about it is this is a movie you can just kick back yeah. and go, this is a caper movie. It's, a caper. it's so good. It's like the characters, you just go, I'm watching this for entertainment. Yeah. You could pause it at any point and you go, it's a masterclass in filmmaking and writing, acting. Whoever the weak link is in this movie, yeah. point it out to me yeah. because it's a background character. It's, like somebody, yeah, exactly. it's some extra who maybe looked at the camera. You know, That's the weak link because everybody, top to bottom, is so good in this movie. It's like, like I said, this would have been on my list. I would have picked this movie. At, so I own it. <laughs> I yeah. own the DVD. I still own DVDs. Make fun of me. I don't care. But I do own this one, and it, it is. I, this is I, I'll say it now. I'm going to watch this movie yeah. many more times before yeah. I'm done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's honestly a movie when people ask what movies that you've reviewed or that you enjoy would you recommend. It's one of the movies I always like, oh, you should check that out. At some point, we're going to do sort of a retrospective yeah. look back, and this is going to be one of the yeah. high points. If we are listing movies we recommend that we've done, this is near the top. And it's so strange that it only costs 300000 but it made less than, a, like, I think around a hundred grand. And they're like, they put it on a double billing with a movie they think called But the Bandito. So we meet the two guys nobody knows. Yes. Maurice was an actual wrestler. I don't know, was, was he Russian or was he Hungarian or something? Yeah. But he has a thick accent. Oh, yeah, does he? Real wrestler during the golden age of wrestling. And a chess player. <laughs> he was. And he's in a room, like in a chess room, yeah. like in a, a, a chess club. I guess, did you see that sign? I guess we don't have those nowadays where, you know, if you wanted to play a game, you see like chess, it's five like a, cents a, a minute. A pool or like, hall. Yeah, or checkers. They had all these games listed. You go in and you can just, you pay because you don't own a chess board or a place to and play. And he's really good because yeah. these guys are playing. He goes, oh, you should have done this and you would have had him checkmate. And the guy says, why don't you stop and leave me alone? And the other guy goes, he's right. Yeah. I could have had you in checkmate. <laughs> But Johnny, this is the guy, he says, I'm going to pay you 2500 And he's quick. He's a wrestler. He's a philosopher. Yeah. And he's real quick because Johnny says, I'm going to pay you 2500 bucks. You just got to start a fight, beat up a bunch yeah. of cops. And, uh, you know, that's it. You'll probably only do like, you know, 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so if you're going to pay me 2500 yeah. it makes me wonder what you're doing. Maybe, you know, and, he, and Johnny has that great line where he goes, I'm paying 2500 One of the reasons I'm paying it is to keep your mouth shut. Don't ask questions. It's, like, it's that great pulp noir dialogue. Yeah. And he has a philosophy where he goes, you know, Johnny, I think great artists and criminals have something in common. People want to cheer for them, but at the same time, they want to see them fail. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that's <laughs> where good. I had to turn. I'm glad I had my DVD yeah. because I had to turn the subtitles on. Because a couple of times I went, I'm not sure exactly what he's saying. I'm going back and listening. And I went, I'm going to just find out. Then he offers to come in. He's like, I come in on this if you want. <laughs> he goes, no, no, this is it. This is how it works. So he goes, all right, Johnny. And I love that he goes, beat up a bunch of cops. Probably do only 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you have some money. You yeah. can spread around. Make yeah. it real easy for you. <laughs> We don't live in the criminal world, yeah. but you know, it's like that's that's a really weird sell. Yeah, go beat up a bunch of cops. Probably only get. Yeah. I don't know what you get today. So, and then we get Nikki, Nikki Arcade, who's another. I mean, dude, the casting. Tim he, Carey, who is an interesting cat in Hollywood history. <laughs> would nowadays, if you're making this, John Turturro's yeah. playing this. Guy. Oh, he's like, got absolutely. He talks his teeth are together all the time. And that's what they said. He would love to do dialogue where he'd keep his teeth together and just move his lips. And then notorious for always wanting to do just 
ad-lib his own lines. Like, you give him a script, he's like, yeah, okay. And then, so he was also considered difficult to work with. But people wanted to have him in movies I, because he is a weird dude. He's a, he, Watch World's Greatest Sinner. He made this own movie himself. <laughs> it's, I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's, he's a sharpshooter. Yeah. His, his job, I'm going to give you 5,000. You shoot this horse in this race. They're trying to create shoot horses out dis- of season. Yeah, it's, disruption. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Trying to chaos, create chaos, d- distractions. Distractions. Little misdirection. Yeah. All the attention is going to be here. Yeah. But it's just this great getting the gang together, getting the caper. You're seeing yeah. the pieces of the puzzle. They talk about pieces of a puzzle, yeah. a puzzle coming together. You're seeing these pieces and you go, okay, I'm starting to see how they're going to pull this yeah. off because they're robbing a racetrack. During this huge. The land's is, down yeah. <laughs> 100000 yeah. or something. There could be $2 million there. <laughs> and then he rents, like, we have these other tiny things where you have, like, this intricacies. And this is the thing. You see that Johnny is making a very intricate plan. He rents a small little motel from a guy he was in prison with. Joe Piano. Yeah. <laughs> the is, great... Is- Great crime name. <laughs> Joe Piano. And he goes, he's, Patsy sent me. And the yeah. guy goes, oh, Patsy. <laughs> he's like, oh, boy. And then he won't take his money. He goes, no, nah, I'm going to pay. But it shows the intricacies. And you're trying to put this all together. And this leads later on to where, like, he overplanned so many things. And then on the small little details, he forgets. Randomness of life. We're now at the day, the morning of this event. <laughs> and, and Sherry does awake and realize, like, George's gone. So this must be the day of the. Well, event. he's eating, yeah, <laughs> and he's and he's got tummy problems, yeah. and she's she keeps trying. She needs to know. She, basically, yeah. I get the picture every day. She's going, "When's the crime, George? Yeah. When's when the are you crime?" Criming? Because she's got to tell Val. Yeah. When are you crying? When are you crying? <laughs> and she's being nice, and she's being, which which is a huge red flag. Exactly, that would be a red flag for me. Yeah. Like, oh, go, he's so blind. He's like, oh, my wife finally loves me. <laughs> Oh, oh that is a that is really sad to <laughs> kind of think about. It like, is so sad. His character is a very sad sack. He's pathetic, he but you know, and but at the same time, you go, hey, wear it. So then we start seeing other parts of the plan going forward. Where uh, O'Reilly, he's saying goodbye to his wife, and his wife has no idea. And this is sad part, like no dude, idea. Dude, that I, they're, those their scenes yeah, yeah. are kind of heartbreaking yeah. to me because he has. You can tell he loves his. He loves his wife so much. He's not a criminal. He's a bartender. Yeah. He loves his wife so much. He's like, I'm going to risk my own freedom because, and he's telling her, it's going to be okay. okay. We're going to get doctors that can take care of you. And I love that when he's leaving, she goes, Mike, just remember, you know, don't drink too much beer when you're with the guys. You know, you know how it makes you, it hits you the next day. (laughs) And he goes, don't worry, I ain't going to be drinking, which is (laughs) probably a good time to toast Hop Saint. Absolutely. Everybody's getting their caper together. Johnny yeah. goes to see Marv, and he sits on his bed. He gives him this big cell. He goes, he goes oh, you know, Johnny, you know, I've always looked at you as a son, yeah. and he touches him and stuff, and he says, uh, maybe, you know, the two of us could run, run, run away. <laughs> Let the like, world Whoa. take a couple of turns. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I mean, I like the fact Jim Thompson was yeah. saying I was writing this Just as that kind of, because yeah. I've always felt, I went, that scene, Dang. I said, I've always felt, even though he says father-son thing, I went, there's more. You have a romantic attachment to Johnny. And I think that's the only reason why he is willing to front this is that I think he loves Johnny. And more than just as a son, I think he really, like, feels like Johnny would be... If I do enough for this guy, it's that John Hughes kind of, I'll keep doing things for this guy, and then he'll see my love and realize that we should be together. Yeah, get 
abscrave Faye and let's run off to like and, feed you together. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I mean, hey, you know what? It's it's uh, that's so sad. Yeah. It's that unrequited love. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you, you kind of go, have you taken a look at Johnny? Is this guy? <laughs> do you think this is going to happen? If no. you're being a realist, is this guy suddenly going to go? Yes, I want to be with you. I don't or, think so. Or also, like, you look at Johnny, like, is he going to get it right this time? He's already served jail for another <laughs> crime. Like, we like Johnny as a character, but you realize he is a tremendously flawed character. He's a criminal. Yeah. I'm sure that this was not, that five-year stint wasn't his first five-year stint. <laughs> that and, dude, so from the day he was born, I feel like he was probably, like, kicking kicking against the yeah. fence the whole damn time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... He gets out of jail, and <laughs> instead of going... I don't want to go back there. He goes, I'm going to get a caper together to steal $2 million. Nobody's ever done this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to do it. Part of it is sad for Marvin as too, because I feel like... You're right. When you look back, there's a lot of sadness built into this movie. I don't know if I stated it quite right before when I said, I think the only person who's completely innocent is Michael Riley's wife, because a lot of these characters are sad. The cop, Randy Kennan, just a pile of crap. Yeah, he is. That, that guy's just a dirty <laughs> cop, you know? Michael Riley, it does. He has good intentions. Yeah. George is pathetic. Marv is, he's just in love. He's in love. I really do. I, looking yeah. back, I think, I, I, in retrospect, yeah. I think we can look at this and say, he's in love. He's trying to do, help Johnny because he talks. He's like, hey, man, I know you found, you know, you've had some tough breaks, yeah. you know, and you made some bad choices, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, but now, you know, when you get this money, you can find good people, yeah. like admiral people. Yeah. And I go, is really, is money going to change this guy? It's not. I think money is just going to give Johnny license to, Probably do more crime. Exactly. Like he's going to find something. And that's why, once again, I think Jim Thompson did most of the screenplay because those are the characters you find in all his books. <laughs> Jason, I no doubt in my mind that Jim Thompson wrote all of this. Like Stanley Kubrick, again, notorious. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult Prickly person. Prickly <laughs> pair. And you know what? Good for him that yeah, he got Jim Thompson. Yeah, his movies are amazing. What are we trying now, Michael? We're doing the Hop Saint IPA. Pretty straightforward there. All right, yeah. We got an IPA coming to you, brother. All right. Now they're pouring these beers and feel like we should be planning a caper. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, just to let you know, this is the caper we usually plan. Yeah. We do these recordings, and then our caper is we go to a brewery and we talk about <laughs> the movies we just talked about. There you go. Can That's see where caper. the sausage is made of beer and B movies. We record two episodes at a time. And then we go to a brewery and we talk well, about the movies we just talked like about. Me. And we talk about the movies we're going to record next, which we're not going to tell you that. <laughs> Those are capers. That's Yeah, that's my caper. Because I don't know. I just, every time I think about like how cool it would be to be in one of these books or movies yeah. or something. Like I said, down in Torrance, these guys have a cool little spot. 7.1%. It's Mosaic, Amarillo, and Talus hops. That's floral. Yeah. Fruity. Oh, that's a good yeah. solid IPA. I could yeah. get after this. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. That's a good time. It's a cool spot. Torrance is such a hotbed for breweries. Whenever I hear Torrance, I think of Boogie Nights because that's where Mark Wahlberg's character was. <laughs> yeah. And they sort of joke about it. They go, hey, Eddie Adams from Torrance. You know, and because Torrance, they're like, Torrance is nowhere it's Bill. In some ways, I've learned a lot about Los Angeles through the brewery scene. You know, there because you they do. Yeah. And I'll even like, I'll even dazzle you. I remember once, I can't, wish I could remember what it was, but I said something and you went, totally stumped you on something. And I went home really happy. I'm like, Jane, Jane, <laughs> I stumped Jason. I'm like, I'm like a geographical thing. I'm like, and she went, what? And we had this whole thing. I, was, I went, yeah, he didn't even know. I got him. I totally got him. 
I grew up in Orange County. When I first worked out of college, it was we lived in Mid Wilshire, so close to downtown. So everything, my life in LA County is like downtown area and then San Gabriel Valley. So everything on the west side is always like, I think I kind of know generally, but if you throw out a name, like. And it's so funny because west siders view everything. Yeah. (laughs) Like east of 405 is, they go, I don't even know what that is. And I go, you know, that's like over 99% of the city, right? (laughs) The whole area of the world is beyond there. And Jane and I, I don't know why, but I mean, we go to breweries yeah. and, and we like to go around, like to check things out. Like we're bopping all over, but we have like, especially people who grew up over here, they don't know. I could drop them downtown and they would probably curl up and go to sleep. They would just have no concept of where they were. They'd be like, where am I, Mars? I worked with someone who was born and raised in the West Side. And every time we go out, he's like, where's the location? Uh, we're going to be uh, like Pico, close to La Brea. He's like, ah. Eh. That's out of the West Side. I'm not going to go, Jason. But he would laugh at me because I'd pull into his apartment complex and I'd drop him off after work. And I'm like, oh, I, he's like, man, you guys who grew up in Orange County don't know how to parallel park. Because <laughs> I would just like, I'm not to do this. He's like, get out of there. And like in five seconds, he'd, give us a, he'd get us into a smaller spot. He's like, that's what you get for being raised in the West Side. He's got a point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow, All right, we're back at the climbing day. I yeah. know, man. That morning, everybody starts moving the, the gears of the plan. That's where this picture, probably where the studio yeah. guys were going, I'm totally confused. Yeah, exactly. Because what we do is we take, we're taking, everybody's getting to the same point. It's that seventh race. But we're going Nikki's story. And then we're going back. We're taking Mike O'Reilly's story. We're taking everybody's different story. We're jumping back and forth in time. Again, it's one of those things I think people see now and they go, I don't see the big deal because we're so used to it. It's one of the things that got me into movies and and got me into the film school. I wanted to find out where did this all start? You'd read, oh, this movie. You'd read this movie. And this is like the genesis of some of that jumping around in time. And the it's same so scene cool. done over from a different perspective. And then so we have our crooked cop. He's calling just on a side street nowhere. He's like, hey, can you call into my uh, car thing? When you watch the first time, he's like, why is he doing this? He goes, I think my uh, you know, radio's out. I can't hear anything. What he's doing is he's protecting himself because he's going to ignore calls. Yeah. And, and they're saying, dude, it looks like your, your phone's all right. And it's like, you're, ah. you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's and, not working. And then he doesn't care that he goes, the captain thinks I'm drunk. Yeah. He's like, and if he thinks it, that's what it is. And he's like, ah, I don't care. And then a woman comes running towards his squad car. And this just shows, once again, this moral ambiguity. But he has to get to the track. And she's like, these guys are killing each other. And he just drives off. I love it. I love it so much. But, and this is where the, the voiceover does really nothing because he drives away and this voiceover comes on and, and says, you know, Hey, if you're a minute or two early, it's okay. But being 10 seconds late is not acceptable. It's like, I didn't, we didn't need that. It was pointless. And again, you listen to it, you watch it. It's like bad photoshopping. Do you think it's because we're used to seeing films like this now? And since the studio had seen this for the first time, I would imagine the first time seeing a film like this, they'd be like, what is going on? Can you draw this on the board for me? I don't know who's doing what. Why what? is he making that call? And it yeah. might have been simply that. And I think some of it is the voice because yeah. it's very much the dragnet. Yeah, it, 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 it very much it is. Goes, yeah. it, it goes at 444, Jason. <laughs> I think it was they were scared. Everyone's going to be confused. And, and it's not trusting your audience. 
Apparently, the audience couldn't be trusted back then because this movie bombed. Yes. (laughs) Meanwhile, you go back to 1956 and go through probably the top earners. Nobody talks about it anymore. Nobody cares about it. And then you see this and you go, wow, this is considered one of the great, you know, crime capers of all time. So he drives away, which I do love. He just, and he doesn't even acknowledge her. Doesn't. Just doop-de-doo, And and I think this. Gotta go criming. This is the point where his fate is cited. He could have easily said, you know what? I really am a police officer. I got to help this. But he's like, he does make a choice here. And he, he chooses does. the wrong choice. He, I would also say, he stopped being a cop. A long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny says, he's like, he's did, you mean to Joe Piano? Because we're coming yeah, up exactly. to that. He's like, he's like, you got some interesting friends. Well, he's, an, he's an interesting cop. Yeah. <laughs> I just love Sterling Hayden. I would love to go back and have a couple beers. Exactly. With. He seems like a guy that you could get some stories out of everything. Like, uh, when he said, when he's like, what do you think about it? He's like, eh, like, take it or leave it. Yeah. Not the biggest fan of, of <laughs> acting. He's like, this is just. Just sort of, fell into it. Yeah. <laughs> just happened to, I fit a type. Yeah. And he fit it great. Yeah. I mean, dude, he was in another Kubrick movie, Dr. Strangelove. So now we're at the first time we see a brawl. We're at the racetrack. And this is where I believe Maurice is giving the heads up, like, you got to start a brawl. He reminds me of George the Animal Steel. He has that same look. When he takes his shirt off. <laughs> like, that guy's wearing a hair sweater. <laughs> you look at that guy and you go, that guy has to be a professional wrestler. Exactly. <laughs> There's really no other job for this person in the world other than professional wrestler. Yeah. He turns, he goes, how do I get, I didn't want to drink, yeah. you Irish idiot. <laughs> I know, like, just insults Michael Riley. <laughs> and also, Marv is there. Marv shows up. He's not supposed to be there. No, Johnny sp- straight out he tells him, him, stay away from the tracks. Yeah. Marv walks up to the bar. He's like, give me a bourbon. <laughs> He's like drunk. He is soused. Yeah. <laughs> two sheets to the wind. <laughs> oh, two. <laughs> and Michael Riley goes, I think you've had enough. When Johnny knows him, he's like, crap, my plan is beginning to go to hell. <laughs> he's got these great reactions. Yeah, I mean, like, they oh. really are just, oh, serious concern. Like, like it's starting to wear on yeah. him. Maurice basically picks a fight with everybody who wants to fight and just, like, is taking on all comers. And dudes are, like, the bartender, Michael Riley just, whoop, yeah. he goes, whoo, He knows disappear. his role. He knows yeah. he's supposed to have, you he's know. Like, he gets shoved down. He goes, yeah. I've had enough of this. Yeah. And other bartenders are, like, smashing <laughs> bottles on his head, and it doesn't phase this dude. He's got, like, three cops on him he's like throws them off he's just all i kept thinking was johnny going oh you got like 60 days for this yeah like like, i just just beat up a lot of people i feel like this might be more than 60 days like this is years that this guy could be doing so what's what are we drinking now we're we're stopping for our next uh flight yes the flight saint thanks guys this is a the double ipa of extinction i get grapefruit it's good West Coast style double IPA with an extinction level addition of Cryo Cascade, Citra, Strata, and Mosaic. Get some before it disappears. What's the? 8-8. Eight, eight, eight. <laughs> <laughs> West Side Living, baby. <laughs> you should not be drinking this when you're trying to plan a caper. Because you're going to think you're doing everything right. At no point. At no, if, if, here's this the thing. It's all going to work out. If you're, doing, if you're auditioning people for your caper and one of them shows up and they're going, hey, I'm going to have this beer, you go, ah, that guy's out. <laughs> I don't know if we have a place for a drunk guy. <laughs> Although, you know, maybe the Maurice guy yeah. being drunk. Just show up drunk and get just in a fight. Drunk. Yeah. This is good. Cryo hops is, it gives that little, yeah. little bite. I like it. I would not 
guess this was like eight eight. Yeah, no. This if was, you were just pouring this for me, we we're hanging out. I go, I'll take another of that. Yeah. I'll take another of that. I'll take another of that. And then you're I, fighting cops at a bar. And then Jay, yeah, Jay. I'm would, in a heist. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. My I'm version hired. of fighting cops at a bar would be Jane going, "Hey, how many have you had?" And I, I go, oh, "I only have three. <laughs> She's like, "I think you might want some water. You ought to be done." So Johnny, part of the plan is create distractions. So he has a fight going on, but also he hired, he hired Nikki Arcane to shoot a horse, <laughs> Red Lightning, <laughs> which I love. I, he said it's not murder. Yeah, he was shooting horses out of season. Yeah. That's one of the he, his sell point to these people is how much time you do, yeah. or like how little time you do. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. And so Nikki does show up. This is a difficult scene. We've got it. Yeah, we. Yeah. I don't know how to approach this yeah. scene. It's fantastic yeah. because. There's an African American guard as he pulls up, and the guy says, "This parking lot isn't open. You got to park over there." And he says, "Hey, man, I'm a I'm a paraplegic." Yeah, James Edwards. He's the actor, big character actor. He I think his one of his final movies. He was a Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra. He was in Patton. This is the double oh, right. IPA okay. talking. Yeah. He was Patton's attaché <laughs> at the end. Everything like that. Yeah, stellar career. But this scene's he's a parking attendant, and he is overly friendly. Super nice, super nice. Because he lets Nick Nicky Arcane kind of. At first, he's not. Yeah, he is. He is a hardcore. You don't park here. You got to. I don't care, Mister. I got a bum leg too. And then he says says to a paraplegic, which I do like, (laughs) as a guy goes, "I'm a paraplegic," which means you're you're paralyzed from the waist down. You go, I've got a bum leg. But then he finds out they do a war shit. Yeah, they're both in World War II. And so they're, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll let you understand. And then he's, and he, and Nicky Arcane gives him a big tip. And so he goes and parks and repairs, but then the parking, he's like super friendly. He keeps saying, hey, do you need anything? Everything gives like him that. a program. Yeah. He goes, thanks for the program. And he does, <laughs> it's, everything he does is just. He's a weird dude. Like, it is awesome. I love about, it. I read about of, him. He is so, go and watch, is it, um. I, I love think it's it. called Bayou. We have, I might put this on the list strictly for him. It would be John Turturro yeah. if, and Eugene Levy. Yeah, exactly. Kid. <laughs> that's what it, it that's is. what he looks at. But I do. I love the way he does it. To, he talks and he goes, thanks. I really thanks for the program. And then he drops an end bomb. Yeah. Because the guy comes over to, with a horseshoe, which I, at first you might go like, where the hell is he getting a horseshoe? And they go, eh, it's a, there's a horse Where's track. There's a horse track. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, here's some good luck. The guy's pushing it. And Nikki's like, I need to shoot this horse. Soon. I need this guy to go away. Because they're announcing yeah. the seventh race. And he's got to get this guy to go away. Calls him the N-word. It's shot as an ugly scene, too, because you can even see on the face of even like Nikki Crane, like his face was like, this is not something I wanted to say, but I need to get this guy out of here. Yeah. And it stops that scene like dead. It's a needle on the record yeah. moment. It's like every time I watch, from the first time I've seen the movie to now, it's like that is just a, a moment of, ah, I don't like hearing that. And rightfully so, like and the park attendant. The, the, he goes, like, well, I'm so sorry, boss. And yeah. he's like, oh, like being sarcastic, like going, fine. And he throws the horseshoe, which <laughs> the horseshoe is not lucky this for This is Nikki. about the random chance <laughs> and, and like the, the choices you make. Because Red Lightning is the horse he has to shoot. And he shoots, like, it's strange. Like, he shoots it and the announcer's like, there's something gone on a track. I'm like, well, someone just shot a horse. <laughs> and as he's driving away, he backs over yeah. the horseshoe. And he comes out and he's, he's like, stop. Yeah. And he goes, no, nah, I'm going to run. And he shoots him in the... Kills him. You go, oh boy. Nicky right. Kane's done. So this, I think this is beginning where you see the plans falling apart. All this planning, all the planning is not the same as playing. He's playing the game and he sees, whoa, 
everything isn't exactly there's Marv being drunk. That's, and then also we jump back at a certain time period where you see Johnny making the arrangements for their flight. Just checking bags ahead of time. Early, yeah. Like, you know, I plan that. Why are you flying in the first place? Drive out of town. Airports are very, yeah. even back then, it's you get there, you're there. There's only a few yeah. outs. If you just go, hey, Faye, throw this in the trunk. Let's we're leave. getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And we're just going to drive. Old school road trip. Yeah. You're not going to get caught. That's bad planning on his part. Yeah. Shouldn't have had the plane. We're back. Where the guards have subdued Maurice and Johnny slips into a doorway. George lets him in. They go, there's a dude beating everybody up. And they go, send in reinforcements. And then they're like, a horse just died on the track. (laughs) Again. chaos. Yeah, which is awesome because George lets him down. He finds, of course, the gigantic flower box with the gun that Mike hid in his locker. Puts on a mask. It's really creepy. That mask, some people said... That mask he wears, think about Christopher Nolan's first Dark Knight when they robbed the bank. When you look at the mask, they are two very different masks. But the idea, the concept of someone putting on a clown mask. Oh, there are similarities. Yeah. I think you they don't have to be exact, yeah. but they're influenced. So he walks in and he's like, he's stealing this money. All these old white dudes with yeah. their pants pulled up too high. Yeah, and he's like, put that money in the bag. And the guy's just... Complete disillusion. He just throw it in there. He's not even trying to do a good job. Oh, he's he's angry. Bills are going he, everywhere. He's like, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Yeah. But all of the intricacy of planning this heist, and then he ties everything up and just tosses it out the second story window, window, just counting on that dude being there, on yeah. Officer Randy. Yeah, being, being there. there. Like, that's what he counted. Also, Jason... He puts a gun, a loaded gun in there and throws it out. There isn't a better than zero chance that 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 thing's just shooting. But Officer Randy is there. Throws it into the police car trunk. Now Johnny has to get back out. He had layers of clothes on. So now he's back to a button-up Oxford and a tie and he puts sunglasses on. (laughs) (laughs) looking pretty cool but looking odd so he walks out and a cop confronts him and he just lays that dude out and just walks on but everything has been so chaotic that people are like i didn't really notice a guy punching a cop out and and the boys are all like they're back at the place where they're supposed to meet pivotal moment of the movie because they're all there except johnny and george is concerned (laughs) Marv is nursing like a cup of coffee. Yeah. You're like, oh boy, I kind of screwed up. I'm going to get schooled by Johnny probably. I love him. I'm sure that coffee was made on a stovetop. Absolutely. The little percolator. Yeah, exactly. And Elisha Cook Jr., George is going, he's late. He's like, nice to know that everything's got to be on a timetable until it's him. I'm going to get a drink. And he walks out of the room, which is key. Yes. Because all of a sudden, Val and his buddy break in. They got guns. Everybody just thinks he's such a, just a, just a worm because Val, he goes, we're taking the money. He goes, Hey, where's the jerk? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love. And George runs out of the room. He goes, the jerk's right here. And just starts shooting wildly. Yeah. And doesn't realize he's killed everyone. Yeah. Cause he, and he walks killed- in and shoots. And because he shoots Val, Val's fingers on the trigger, just like mows down everybody. Everybody so, gets killed. Everybody dies. And it's right out of a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it, you can see how this was. Well, a Quentin Tarantino movie is right, right out of this. this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it is. It's just that weird. But I just love, hey, where's the jerk? Yeah. Like, you don't even have a name. You don't yeah. even warrant. I don't. Res- I respect you so little. I'm not even going to give you a name. I'm just going to say, hey, where's the jerk? You're shocked by that scene because you're like, oh, my gosh. No one 
it's going a to make out of this. Wonderful slow yeah. pan as he sort of realizes, oh man. And George is shot up too. It's perfect timing. You know, the voiceover says that Johnny was late, delayed by traffic. <laughs> and he pulls up right when George is stumbling out, covered in blood. And Johnny's like, you know what? We agreed that if something keep, shouldn't work out, you keep all the money, divide it up later keep on. Keep on driving. Something, like if you see George stepping out of the apartment covered in blood, you realize like something did not work out. It's like, did you ever see the movie Heat? <laughs> I did not. So, okay, in Heat, Val Kilmer's character pulls up. The cops are all looking yeah. for him. He just did a caper. He pulls up in front of his house and Ashley Judd, who he's supposed to be picking up, the cops are there. She gives him a little signal and he drives on. He just moves on. It's different, but it's kind of the same where you pull up and you go, well, this isn't where I want to be. And he kind of he moves going. on. And as soon as he drives, of course, here come the black and whites. I just want to notice on that scene, you realize they're shooting in L.A. because you see City Hall in the background. But now we get Sherry. She's packing. Here's the door open. And she goes, Val, is that you? And then it's George. And, stumbling and, in. And, oh, she just, like, rides him. just keeps riding where she goes. Great dialogue. You couldn't even do the smart thing with a gun on you. Like like that kind of stuff where you just, you're dumb, you're dope. And he's going, why'd you do it? Why'd you yeah. do it? And again, the camera work, the lighting, he's crazy. Yeah. That is one, thing about, dying. One, one thing about Elijah Cook Jr. He does, he gets slapped around, he's a, but he's got crazy eyes. Yeah. And he's just covered in blood. He's dying. He's telling her, he's like, why did you do this? And she's like, you're just an idiot. And he shoots her and she has... If I could write something yeah. this good in my life, yeah. I would be so happy. Her dying words, I never had anybody but you, not a real husband, a bad joke with no punchline. I know, it was sad. And they die together, <laughs> like they die in that room together. <laughs> and I kept thinking, because as he falls over dead, he knocks over the birdcage yeah. and the bird is there. And all I thought was, oh, that poor bird might starve to death. Yeah. That bird might die. <laughs> Just sitting there with these two losers. You know what I mean? They tied their lot together. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It was, it's, 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 it's like, sad, it's just a pathetic. Amazing it's dialogue. It's hard to say. Oh, yeah. it's it's incredible. It's like the yeah. that the, every exchange. It's like, it's just crackerjack writing, man. Yeah. This is when Johnny, this is when he's like, okay, this bag of money is huge. My carry-on bag will not contain this. Here's my decision. I'm just going to find a pawn shop and buy a, a bag. He, he goes to a secondhand store, buys a cheap, giant suitcase. Okay. Pulls her aside to put the money in it. Two locks. One lock is completely busted. Yeah, yeah. and he's like, the other one. The other one works. It, it's one of those little tells yeah. where you go, you're cheap. And that's why you don't get all this money. That's why you That's why you haven't earned all this money yeah. legitimately. You'll get a coach be, back. Because you're cheap. You didn't go to a real store. You yeah. bought a secondhand suitcase. Because yeah. he's now, he's shooting from the hit now. Like, he's like, how am I going to get this? I have to get a bag. And he makes poor decisions. And that lock is important because you realize, okay, that means the bag really has a 50-50 chance of opening up. Buy a belt yeah. and wrap it around, bro. Do something. You got two million bucks in that yeah. suitcase. Like, yeah. Get a rope and tie a good knot. But Do he has whatever. this timeline. He has to be for this flight at the airport with Faye. He shows up to the airport. This is a great moment because he's like, I'd like to use this as a carry-on. And they're like, oh. He goes, I know you checked in, before, sir, but this Damn is- things a, like three feet long. Yeah, he goes, this is above the limits, so you cannot carry this on. And he's like, I'd like to speak to your supervisor. <laughs> and that catches it because we constantly talk about people asking like for supervisors nowadays. We have a term, Karen, but like 
this movie, he's like, I'd like to speak to your supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> and the supervisor comes over, and it's a great where he's like, I don't know if we can do this. I, I, it's only, you know, minutes before the flight, but I guess we can. We can just refund your money, sir, <laughs> because you <laughs> cannot carry he's this so off. Nice. He's so nice about <laughs> it. He goes, yeah, we'll just refund it. He goes, hold on, hold on. I don't get why he doesn't say, okay, and go and fake. Hey, we're, we're just going to drive. I've got money. We'll get a car, whatever. I don't get it. But he goes, well, okay. We open that scene with an annoying woman and her dog. Yeah, and we know those women with those type of dogs, those uh, little teacup she, dogs. And she's talking awful. and the baby talk. Yeah. With the wiggle, the weep, oh. daddy, and boop, boop. Uh, I, I don't even like doing it. There is no reason for that being there. Because they check the bag and they go out. And he watches it when he throws it on the conveyor belt. He's like cringing. <laughs> he's like, that's going to pop open. And as they're driving, it's on the trailer. It's on the very top. And yeah. they stood it on its end, yeah. which is like you, that nobody's doing The whole doing time that. he's just watching. It. It's like my fate. Everything's right there. And the dog gets loose. And the guy driving the little train or whatever yeah. swerves. And, of course, the, the suitcase falls off. Breaks open. $2 million just starts blowing all over the place. And they cut to Sterling Hayden. He gives one of the best looks. Yeah. It's, it is an absolutely astounding, award-winning look. You see, like, I really think in that, I feel like in that moment, I see a man who just watched $2 million yeah. disappear. <laughs> to the point that Faye, who's just tiny, yeah. tiny next to him, grabs him and, like, pulls him away. And he's just... You can see he's done. She's like, let's run, Johnny. And this time, the airline people, there are cops all over the place. And they're like, hey, it's that dude. That dude. And they point, and the cops are coming. And he goes, what's the difference? Like, he's just defeated. And that's the end. Yeah. He walks towards the cops. What's the difference? Yeah. Uh. (laughs) It's interesting because one of the original ideas for that movie, did you read that? They were going to have him chase the money down and actually be killed by the propeller from the plane. Like, so involved in like, trying to catch that money, that last grasp, like, grab that golden ring that he doesn't, he ignores a plane. Yeah, I think I'm, this is a better ending. I, I, yeah, that's not his character. His character isn't desperate. He'll go to jail again. You think when he gets out of jail, he's going to commit more crime? A hundred percent. I just wonder if Faye will be there. I'm not good looking and I'm not yeah. smart. You're <laughs> they really should have got someone else for that role. For, I, for, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, cast me. The movie's over. We, great, great ending. Just remember, like, Colleen Gray, who plays Faye, just want to point out, Kansas City Confidential. She's in that movie. She's Love also it. in a... Uh, it's a movie I enjoy. I don't know if you've ever seen Red River from 1948. She was in Nightmare Alley. She's also in another film noir, Johnny Johnny Rocco. And then she made a bunch of like B-sci-fi, like The Leech Woman and The Vampire. <laughs> as the one, Planet. As one will <laughs> at that time. So do you recommend this movie? Absolutely. I mean, after watching it when we did our film noir episode, it's, it's a good movie. It stands up to this day. Overall, like this movie is a good, solid movie. It ends how film noir should end. It's not about. I keep kicking. It's not about the year yeah. for film noir yeah. for me. It's about. It's got to be. You can't have a good ending. You can't have a happy ending. So, what about yourself? I love this movie. When I saw this on your list, I went, "Well, I take it off my <laughs> list," and and I was fine with that because I I do I love this movie and watching it again because it had been a little while. It'd been. A, few years and it was great because jane watched it and she went this is great she's like this is just tight it's really well done you should watch this yeah. there are blinders that i think people have now where, where they'll watch, they watch something from the past and they go they always equate it with now and i go no that wasn't the way everything was and you know what go 20 25 years in the future 
it's not going to be the same. You're you're going to be the one saying, hey, that's cool, but I watched when I was then. This movie was made before both of us were born, and I love this movie. And it's filled with character actors of that time period. <sighs> There's not bad acting in this movie. There's just consistent good acting. And every little character, even their limited screen time, they give the characterization where you know that. It's not like, there's a lot of movies where, where like everybody's interchangeable because you're like, oh, who was that character? Joe Piano. Yeah, exactly. Joe <laughs> Piano. No, he is. He's like small, yeah. probably 45 seconds yep. of screen time. Really great. The security guard. Wonderful. Like, and you it, look at their IMDb and it's huge. No, this, it's, this is such a tightly wound little movie. It's, yeah. it's wonderfully made. In terms it's, of film it's, history. It's the beginning. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, the beginning. it's the beginning of Kubrick. Yeah. And you see where this is going to go. And you also see where, hey, he was difficult from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like he got huge. <laughs> he got and then became difficult. And then became difficult. <laughs> it was like, this guy was a pain in the butt from the get-go, you yeah. know? So uh, Hop Saint, oh, an- anything this, from them, man. This flight of beers was excellent. This was tons of fun. I'm not going to even bother being like, you know, is there a favorite? I will never pick a favorite when it's a flight. Especially because, you know, it's like so many different styles. Yeah. We're going pills, pale ale, IPA, double IPA. I will say their double IPA, a little scary. Yeah. A little scary. It's super tasty. Yeah. That thing can creep up on you. And they're local. So if you're in Southern they, California, absolutely. You can head down the tour. I'm seeing them in some stores. I'm starting to see they're branching out. Like I, I, I saw them in a couple of local stores. They're getting a, a larger footprint. Do you think that if they, a Panorama of America film noir, do you think if they did a, a another version, like if they had it in them doing that? They, they, they actually did, years later, they kind of did, and I think they did a re-release, a reprint okay. that had an addendum that kind of added like some stuff mm-hmm. that was like, hey, later. I do believe they would totally consider this a film noir. Yeah, I think it hits all the notes. As much as I, I like what they do, yeah. I don't adhere to their exact standards yeah. So like, like we've talked about in our show, only two things. It has to be told from the criminal perspective, not the cop per- perspective. It's got to have a bleak ending. And that about wraps this one up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. <laughs>